So therefore, be proud to be a decent American rather than be just a wanker whipping up fear. Because you're supposed to tackle people, you're supposed to hit people at pace and hit them hard as part of the game. It's not chess we're playing. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double tap does what the f he wants. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to What's the Story podcast. WTS 120. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who have we got this week, Danny? We have got... And why? Well, well, hang on. Yeah? First of all, good man, I am Danny. Hi, Danny. I'm Graham Merrigan. Graham Merrigan. Merrigan Mania on Twitter <laughs> and, and Instagram. Dan Joe Murray on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, I, I always know when you're fanning out because you want to get... You're, oh, no. you're, you're bubbling to get straight in. And yeah. I understand. It's a good one. I understand. But, you know, we got to look after what we got to look after first, Merrow. Such time. as... Where are we coming from this week? Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel, Kalini, which has gone under a bit of a facelift. It is. A lovely, lovely little facelift. A little bit of a paint there. job, yeah. Nothing wrong with uh, updating... The scenery, lads. I had apple tart here today while waiting for you. Did you? Love myself. Yeah. And a pot of tea. And a pot of tea, no pot less. A pot of tea, no less. Tell you. How would you take your tea, Graham? Um, milk and two sugars. Milk and two sugars? Uh, one. Uh, I need a bit of a sweetness. Are you are you backing down on two sugars in case Lindsay Danger Doyle's listening? Who? Yeah. <laughs> she won't be listening. She hasn't got time for she, really podcasts. She abandoned us. She has hippie. She listens to hippie podcasts. Whale sounds and all she that. Made, sort of her stuff. little lad was one, right? Happy birthday, Bodie. Like, uh, happy birthday, Bodie. Uh, and she made him a sweet potato cake. And we're on a group WhatsApp for the gym. And everyone was like, Will you give him a bleeding happy meal? And her and Austin were like, Hipping out. They were, they were hi- hippie dopes. They're like, No, we're going to make him a dairy free, gluten free uh, sweet potato cake. With coconut cream. Get a... Uh, get the bow. Oz, Lynn. These are two fantastic people. <laughs> yeah, great people. But would you ever buy the boys some chicken nuggies, would you? <laughs> Up to like, they're only two euro. They're <laughs> only two euros. We know, I buy about 24 nuggets a day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Oh God, Fitzpatrickcastle.com for more. <laughs> that, was, that was the weirdest plug we've ever done. Yeah, it was. Um, Shout out to the lab. Yeah, absolutely, the lab. And Damo Darker. Great bloke. People. You can't mention the lab without mentioning all three. No. Um, anyway, Graham. Yes. Our guest. Our guest is an author. Um, I suppose is he. Would you say a playwright as well? I don't know. Play? Does he wrote a play? I don't know. I know he's wrote a, he's a, wrote screen, a screenplay. A screenplay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it. He's the author of Blood Red Turns Dollar Green. It's which is a three volume kind of. Crime wrestling, crime wrestling novel. Yeah, um, it's, it's fiction, but it's kind of almost like augmented reality in the yeah. sense that, like, it's kind of the air. It's about, think of like Rome, the TV series, which was all, all you know based in fact, but the characters are fictional yeah, characters. That's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> that was great, Dan. Thanks. Um, he's from Wexford, except he's a yellow belly. That's crap. But let him wear that. They do great robberies and great sports. They do. They do, and they do great authors. Well, they do now. <laughs> He's also the uh, co-writer of JR's 
uh, autobiography, JR, who was familiar to a Jim lot of pro Ross. wrestling fans as the commentator of the Attitude Era, Jim Ross. Good old Commentator of a lot of eras, but primarily he was the voice of the Attitude Era. And uh, the book is entitled with one of his catchphrases. Schlobberknocker, my life in wrestling. I don't know yeah, what accent man. I tried to do. I don't know either, either, man. I don't know. I'm brutal at accents. If JR happens to listen because Paul tweets this, I want to apologise for my colleague's attempt at an Oklahoma accent there. Sorry, JR. If you ever want to yeah. come on as well, just give us a show. Um, he's <laughs> also the writer and director of movie stayed um so yeah paul o'brien is our guest this week which i'm really looking forward to yeah i just want to correct myself there i, I said that the characters in rome are, are fictional i know they had some who were like they had caesar and they had pompey that were real lads if there's any nerds listening relax yourselves all right a lot of nerds in the world at the moment man especially correct, for correcting correcting us on twitter and shit go away get a life. come on lads I've got fat fingers. I hit all the buttons, all right? <laughs> yeah, Eventually, I'm going to make a mistake somewhere. Anyway, to a man who hasn't made a mistake, we jump straight in. Let's go. The wonderful. WTS 120. With Paul O'Brien. So now we have uh, Otter of Blood Red Turns Dollar Green, the trilogy, co-writer of Jim Ross, uh, of Attitude Era fame, WWE Attitude Era fame, JR's autobiography, uh, Slobberknocker and writer director of Movie Stayed, Paul O'Brien. How are you? I am deadly, boys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, no, thanks, man, for coming on, Paul. A yellow belly. Follow <laughs> 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 from Wexford. Love it. And uh, we were just saying there, you survived the L. Uh, what was the, the hurricane Ophi- Ophelia? Ophelia? Ophelia, yeah. Ophelia. Ihe man. Night of the wind again, huh? Is that what I meant? Yeah, yeah. Well, she I was rough out now, she was. It was, it was just nobody I, what I thought was hilarious about the whole hurricane thing was that we were like the, the people were kind of going ah it's not going to be that bad yeah. and nobody <laughs> took the warning like exactly it was yeah. mental and then you can see the look of shock on everyone's faces like we're going like this is real is it yeah <laughs> you know when people when they saw their Farmer primary school gone hurtling past her house. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> Just, like, that was ridiculous, oh, that roof, wasn't it? That was great. That was down in Cork, wasn't yeah. it? The community school. What about the the, right, the, the kite surfers, Paul? Jesus. Ah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it's just, a, I think it's just a you know, it's typical Irish thing. On one hand, you see, the older I get, I think, ah, gobshites, you know, putting other people in danger. And then on the other side of it, I can see the kind of, you know, once-in-a-lifetime thing attached to it. Like, my daughter's 17, like, and she was just scratching at the door to get out. <laughs> really? Yeah, because, like, it's like, well, it's never going to happen again, Dad, you know? And I'm like, well, I wouldn't bet on that, hon. That was yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The this, could, this could be a sign of things to come. We have one exactly. coming up this weekend as well. Uh, Storm yeah, Brian. it looks like it. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it. And, Paul, um, we'll go straight into it anyway. You, you're, yeah. you're the author of um, Blood Red Turns Dollar Green. I'm interested as a... You're a man from Wexford. There's a lot of, I suppose, yeah. Irish pro wrestling fans. But I'm interested yeah. where you got the idea and the concept from this. Yeah, like it's, uh, I suppose I'm a weird hybrid in that. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a writer from Wexford uh, who grew up watching professional wrestling. But I looked at the Blood Red Turns Dollar Green trilogy very much from a kind of writer's point of view rather than a wrestling fan's point of view. And what I mean by that was, it just hit me that this is a new way to tell the organized crime story. You know, for your listeners who wouldn't know that, you know, really what happened in America in the, well, you know, going right back to the 1900s was there was like a little cabal of owners who, you know, had a territory in each of the states and sometimes a couple of the states together in America. And uh, they were the only ones who were allowed to trade in that. 
uh, state or collection of states. And the other guys then promised that they wouldn't come into their territory with their wrestling show. So, I mean, it was a, an all-cash business. It was kind of mafia-esque in that the federal government was trying to prove that these guys were match-fixing and, you know, doing under-the-table deals and trading wrestlers backwards and forwards. And this, this stuff all really happened. And I was fascinated by that. And I just thought, you know, with, you know, uh, I wanted to write a novel. That's the first thing, because I kind of came from the theater. And then I wanted to write a crime novel uh, with an angle that probably, you know, at, to that point hadn't been seen before. So the Blood Red Turns Dollar Green books were born. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm a wrestling nerd. So I kind of knew a lot of the history. Uh, a lot of it is fascinating. A lot of it blends in with, you know, kind of, you know, like so, for instance, you know, Elvis would have been a huge wrestling fan and he would have been sitting back in the small little bingo hall there in Memphis watching the wrestling matches. So I love the way as well popular culture kind of throughout uh, modern history anyway is kind of woven in yeah. uh, to the professional wrestling scene in America. So all of that together kind of made it a, a, a tempting prospect. We, we had these, like, as, as well as growing up, we had all these uh, larger-than-life characters. Yeah. And we were kind of, like, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, we were just kind of infatuated with, say, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage. And we still had the belief in our minds that this 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 is a real show, like... Yeah, so absolutely. So with, with, your, with your novel, um, it's, it's based in the 70s. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get at is that like we were we weren't really exposed to what was going on behind the scenes until maybe the late nineties into yeah. going into the two thousands. So yeah. your your depth of research in this is yeah. fascinating. Where where did it all begin in, in terms of that? Well, I kinda of started researching it properly maybe for a year or two before I, you know, started writing the story. What I didn't want to do was I didn't want to offend these guys because, you know, uh, some they're, of them... They're quite are, offensive. They can get easily offended. <laughs> really? Yeah. And, you know, so I wanted to make sure that I got, you know, the detail. Uh, I wanted to be meticulous uh, because the last thing I wanted anyone to say was, you know, that, you know, these stories don't gel because this didn't happen or that couldn't have happened. So I built a world that was historically accurate and then I filled it with fictional characters. Like, I went right down to the color of the wall in Madison Square Garden in 1969. Like, I, I found out what color the carpet was wow. in JFK in, you know, 1971. And, and when these guys, one of which you mentioned, uh, Jim Ross, who was around in those kind of territory days, when they read my books, uh, and instead of kind of being annoyed that, that there was some guy from Ireland who was writing these books, uh, that he and William Regal and Bret Hart and, you know, some of our Irish wrestlers like Finn Balor, Becky Lynch, they actually went out and publicized the books for me. Like, they told wrestling fans that you need to read these novels. They're kind of the first of their kind. That somebody has taken, you know, a fictional overcoat and put, put it on the historical happenings of wrestling territory days. Um, so, you know, I was, I, was, I was delighted with that because I, I really didn't want to offend these guys. And at the same time, I thought this was a story very much worth telling. Yeah, and, and how, did, how did Jim Ross get us? How did, he, how did he know about your book? Well, I was, was he the first? Was he the first to kind of acknowledge it? No, it was actually Mick Foley. Oh God! Um, so Mick Foley, some of you, again, some of your listeners might know him as Mankind or Cactus Jack or Dude Love or just playing all Mick Foley. Mrs. Uh, Foley's Mick baby Foley. boy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mick has been amazing. Like, um, I kind of use Twitter to lightly stalk. Uh, <laughs> we, we all do. We all do. We all do. <laughs> so um, I when was it? Maybe about four years ago. 
um, I I was just you know lightly asking people uh, I have a wrestling novel would you like to read it or could you read it or and nobody was replying to me nobody and uh, Mick Foley put up this tweet then um, that he was going to do a charity thing in America where he would come and mow your lawn if you paid you know x amount of dollars to the charity of his choice and I said well I said typical, typical Mick Foley thing to do it is because he lo- you know he knew he'd get the headlines for it and. So I sent him a message saying, Mick, listen, I'd love to put some money into your charity, but uh, obviously I'm in Ireland, so... But I would pay X amount of dollars if you read the first two chapters of my wrestling novel. Wow. And uh, he sent me back an instant message or a DM or whatever it's called, and he said, deal, and he sent me his email address. So I sent the first couple of chapters to Mick. Uh, I had to wait a little while. And then one night, I got this um, video message back. Uh, because of the time difference, about three o'clock in the morning our time, and I remember looking at it, my eyes were cutting me because I was watching this, you know, the phone screen in, in complete darkness. And the next thing, Mick Foley pops up, and uh, he had cut this uh, promo for wrestling fans saying that they need to read these novels. Oh my uh, god! Yeah. So like, I I leapt out of the bed, you know. I was like to my wife, Mick Foley's on the phone. Oh <laughs> <laughs> my god! And, uh, she, she was like, Yeah, right. Yeah. I was going, No, seriously. Look, look, look. And uh, when Mick Foley endorsed the first novel, uh, then it got a little bit easier in that, um, you know, William Regal come on board, Brett the Hitman Hart come on board, Paul Heyman come on board. Paul so Heyman. it was kind of all these wrestlers uh, and people connected to the wrestling business. That, were, yeah, that's were, a who's who, like, that's... Yeah, it really is. And so what I did was, you know, um, once I had Mick Foley's endorsement, I knocked William Regal's tw- Twitter door and said, uh, listen... Uh, Mick Foley likes these books. I know that you're an avid reader. Could I send you one for free? Uh, and you know, William Regal was like, "Okay." And he wasn't. He even said to me like he wasn't expecting it to be any good, you know, because you know, wrestling novel. I was going to read that. And uh, the next thing I know, he's sending me tickets to go over to Florida. So what? we were going over. Yeah, he was inviting us to uh, NXT tapping, and uh, myself, my wife, and my daughter went to NXT. Then Bret Hart sent me an email. Uh, and he signed it off with kisses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, uh, Brett kiss kiss at the end of it. Uh, who, who else gets that? <laughs> who else gets that? Uh, I ended up meeting Seamus uh, in Dublin. Uh, he brought me over a hamburger. Fucking <laughs> um, hell. Finn Ballard then texted me that day actually and said he was in Bray. So I jumped on the train and went down to Bray. And uh, myself and Finn Ballard and Seamus had this great Twitter um, exchange where. I was telling uh, Seamus just, you know, how much more handsome Finn Balor was. And he was taking me along the the promenade and we went for coffee, not a burger. And so it was cool, you know. And then, yeah, loads of stuff happened, lads. Like, I ended up... uh, You ended up at the Hall of Fame, didn't you? I ended up at the Hall of Fame in the third row. uh, Myself and Becky Lynch. (laughs) Sitting behind Bruno Sammartino. As you do. uh, As you do. But uh, did did you get it? Because... like because the the book is based in the seventies and yeah, I'm sure there's kind of uh, there was assistance from kind of Bruno's influence in that decade. Did you get to talk yeah. to Bruno at all about it? I tell you, I was too starstruck, and I could tell I wasn't the only one. So I was sitting behind Bruno, you see, and uh, Chris Jericho walks over, <laughs> and he kneels down into Bruno's ear, like and puts the hand out, it was like you know shaking the hand of the king. And wow. the next thing, then this the like you know. 
the lights of the room went out, and I looked up, and there was the big show standing beside me. Now he was, not, you know, he was trying to get the broom off, <laughs> but like his time muscle, like was on my earlobe, you know. <laughs> uh, at least I hope it was his time muscle. And, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm calling the big show for nothing. Lads. <laughs> so. Uh, he kneels down beside Bruno as well, you know, and then I was thinking, okay, because I could see there was a line of wrestlers there, and the last thing I wanted to do was kind of, you know, trying it. Uh, I'm this guy that nobody knows, I'm from Ireland, blah, blah, blah. So I was too busy getting kicked in the back by Hacksaw Jim Duggan, <laughs> who every time he crossed his leg, hit me a boot in the lumbar region, you know. Yeah. It was hilarious because his wife kept apologizing for him. And, uh, Jesus. So I had, this, I had this story then, you know, that when I was a kid, in Wexford, uh, I found out that Jim Duggan was from Glens Falls, New York. So, uh, me and a friend of mine went to a public payphone and rang him <laughs> and revert and reverse the charges, you know. And uh, he said, uh, "Sorry, kid, I don't know you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and there we are, like uh, I don't know, was it 15, 20 years later? And he's kicking me in the back of the Hall of Fame. You know? what, 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 what happened in this phone call? <laughs> He got on the phone and I said, Hacksaw? And he said, yeah. Uh, we reversed the charges, by the way. So he paid for the call. Because <laughs> uh, then, yeah, you remember, like, then you could ring a, a an operator and say, can you put me through to? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so this lady put me through to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Glens Falls, New York. And he got on the phone. He said, I'm sorry, kid, I don't know you. And he hung up. And of course, like me and my friend were high fiving each other then for about four hours after, you know. Did you tell him when you seen him at the Hall of Fame? Yeah, exactly. My wife told him. Like she was I was too like I was too, you know, head down, kind of being Irish, kind of like, hello, you know, Rick Flair walking by me and you know, Steve Austin sitting across from me and all that stuff. It was it was crazy. Like it was one of the best nights of my life. I was and you know, I was thinking, you know, Sorry, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, so, sorry. Uh, I was thinking, like, if Carlsberg done heaven, like, this is this is pretty much my heaven, you know? It's unbelievable, man. That's yeah. crazy. Like, and is yeah. your wife a wrestling fan as well? Yeah, so, you know, like, she's not as big a wrestling fan as I am, but she knows who they all are. She's, uh, particularly the Attitude Era, she would have watched it a lot more. You know, um, when my daughter was born, like, she grew up a wrestling fan, kind of sitting on my lap. So, like, we're definitely a wrestling house. Yeah. Uh, household, you know, and we... Um, we jump on the plane every now and again, go to America, catch all the shows and do all that stuff. Like, uh, this year they invited me over to WrestleMania in uh, Florida, uh, which was fantastic, you know, because I got to do the whole, uh, they rented out the skybox, like, for all the wrestlers. So, you know, that was just hilarious. Yeah. Me and my wife just walking around, walking in the can. and <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, crazy stuff. Did, um, so the, that in invitation to the Hall of Fame, that was from Becky. And is it, was it because of Becky's love of the book as well that you formed a relationship? Yeah, yeah. It was, like, it was a weird one, you know, because um, uh, I, I definitely wanted to get a female perspective on the book. And uh, I knew Natty was reading it, Natty Nightheart, and uh, Renee Young was reading it. So I just thought I'd, I'd reach out to, you know, Becky. She's Irish. You know, she seems approachable. She, I know she loves to read. So I sent her the book, and uh, once I sent her the book, um, I, she was in Florida, I think, at that time. She was living in Orlando. And I said, well, I'm going to be there in you know, three or four weeks, because this is when uh, William Regal was saying, if you're coming over, let me know, and I'll get you a ticket. So it was all kind of blending in. So we met in a coffee shop, and uh, you know, three, two or three years later now, I would say, like we're actually you know, we're like family now at this stage. Wow. You know, it was, um, 
That's unreal. It was, it's weird, you know, just kind of this weird bond. You know, two Irish people, um, you know, kind of out in the world, and you know, in a completely different way. I know we're kind of wrapped up in the wrestling thing. Like, obviously, she is a wrestler. She's amazing. Uh, you know, I'm writing these wrestling books, writing Jim Ross's autobiography. We were bumping into each other at wrestling shows everywhere. So, uh, you know, she she ended up being a really good friend of mine, actually. That's, that's, and she solicited us there. That, that's amazing, man. Like, yeah. And just because you, as I said, you listed almost like a who's who of like who yeah. you got to meet and, and who read the book and all that. Like, was there anybody yeah. who kind of gave you like really encouraging words that, so, well, I don't know if they all surprised. Bret Hart sent you kisses, I suppose. Surprise, <laughs> but like, <laughs> <laughs> it certainly be, it was a Joe Cabray we had on that they went for a lock in. I think that beats Joe. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, Joe Cabray, <laughs> owner of OTT, yeah. said he had a, a lock in with Bret in New York. In was New York, it? yeah. But, but, oh, did he? Yeah, but yeah. that your, your story beats. That's our best Bret Hart story, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. But, I have um, to have a word to Joe now because yeah, I wondered. If, I wondered if Brett Harno sent him kisses. Like yeah, <laughs> exactly, that's it, man. But uh, you're uh, speaking from the lock in. From the lock in, he probably gave him kisses. <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking to Joe, right? So I was sitting in a in a bingo hall about three hours outside of Orlando. I, I remember I got me a rental car and NXT were doing this tiny little show on a little armory, you know, like a mm. a fifty seater or whatever. And even at that, it was only half full. And so I was sitting in the front because I. I didn't know, so I bought myself a front row seat. <laughs> now, the place is empty, like, but I, I paid an extra $10 or whatever for a front row seat. So I'm sitting in the front row, minding my own business, you know, 5,000 miles from home, and all I hear is, hey, are you Paul O'Brien? And I said, I think I just heard that today. So I didn't even bother looking up, like, and, uh, hey, are you Paul O'Brien? And I said, yeah. And he said, how are you? My name is Joe. And he shakes my hand and sits beside me. And it was Joe Cabrera you were talking about. Yeah. No and way. Joe had read the book. And he was over with NXT at that time. And he, uh, he was out injured. Mm. So here we were, a guy from Wexford and a guy from Dublin, sitting down front row in this tiny little bingo hall. Or, you know, what would be the, equivalent, what would be the Irish equivalent? Like a, a community hall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, two or three hours outside of Orlando talking about wrestling. And uh, again, to this day, myself and Joe are friends because of that handshake and meeting. And uh, there we were sitting in front row in front of, <laughs> in front of all the Floridians <laughs> watching watching wrestling, you know? That's so it's brilliant. a small little world. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah. Who, like, which one do you still kind of mark out over in terms of them, like, saying, like, love the book or, you know, like, asking people to read the book? Who was the one that kind of you still go, holy shit over, like? I think probably for me it was Jim Ross. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason being was because he lived through it all. Like, Bret Hart was amazing because he's Bret Hart. Uh, mm. You know, he came from his father's stampede territory down into into uh, WWE and went to WCW. But Jim Ross kind of started off in the territories, you know, uh, and moved his way up uh, from, you know, um, he put the rings together. He used to drive the wrestlers around. He started off in tiny little, uh, you know, bingo halls, moved right up. And then he ended up, of course, being one of, the integral parts of the biggest boom and the whole thing in the whole you know and he was vince's right hand man for 20 odd years and so when he said that these are historically accurate and you know the research blew his mind and he like my novels my fictional novels had such an effect on jim ross that he asked me to co-write his real life story his autobiography and you know for me to be sitting in wexford like thinking not only did i have an impact on him i had that much of an impact on him that when he was going to write his own life story, he sent me 
uh, a couple of chapters that he had already written and asked me would I take a look at them. Like, so he wanted my opinion. Jesus, which was again, which was mind blown. Yeah, yeah, it was mind blown. You're doing your segue is for us as well, man. That's brilliant. Thanks. I'm a pro lad. So, so, so Jim Ross sends you the the a draft couple of chapters for his book and says to you, "I'd love to get your thoughts on this." Yeah, what do you think? You read them. I was. Yeah, I was very nervous. So what happened was he read the Blood Red Turns Daughter Green books. He invited me on to his podcast. We'd done a beautiful interview. And at the end of it, I was saying, thank you very much, Jim. You know, I really appreciate this. And uh, he just asked me to hang on the line. And so Jim Ross and I were just shooting the breeze for 20 minutes, talking about everything, you know, wrestling and life. And, and at the very end of it, he said, listen, I, I'm thinking about writing my autobiography. And I said to him, Jim, as a fan, I am going mad to read that, like, and I have been for you know decades. Mm. I'm delighted that you're finally going to bring it out. Thanks very much for that. And he said, "No, no, no. I, w- I would like you to take a look at it." And I was like, "Whoa, no, <laughs> okay." Um, and it didn't arrive for a couple of days, so I thought, "Okay, he's probably after coming to his senses, or you know, he's probably after you know getting somebody else in who actually does this because uh, you know I'm I'm a writer of fiction. You know, I've never mm. written anybody's true life story before." So he sent me a chapter uh, that was him and his father. It was about he and his father. And it wasn't a wrestling chapter at all. And I thought, ooh, you know, I'm just going to take a little rewrite of this. Now, he didn't ask me to rewrite anything. He didn't ask me to do it. But I just thought, I took a little cheeky rewrite at it and uh, sent it back to him. And then I didn't hear anything for about two weeks. And I thought, oh, fuck, I'm after offending the voice of wrestling, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's this, this is not going to be good, like, for where I want to go. Uh, but then he got on the phone and uh, he said he was quite emotional when he read the chapter that I had written, uh, that he and his wife have discussed it and he would love me to come on board. And he said his manager was going to read me, ring me in five minutes with an offer. Wow. So Holy again, shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was sitting away. I didn't even have time to tell my wife because I, tur- I turned around to tell my wife, hey, there's something. And my phone rang and it was Jim Ross's manager and uh, we kicked around a deal for you know a few days and um, signed on a dotted line and then before I knew it I was off to the races writing the uh, autobiography of you know one of the integral figures of modern wrestling yeah, well, I mean the, 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 as you said the voice Jesus certainly for Christ. like us growing up in the 90s yeah. watching, watching the Attitude Era like yeah. Jim, Jim Ross was the voice of wrestling like he was and you know, again, like what your listeners might know was that he was also as well, he pulled together the, I think, most talented, most successful roster of all time. Yeah, he was talent so relations, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was talent relations. So, I mean, you know, even in the book, I talk about like when he hired The Rock, when he hired Steve Austin, when he hired, you know, Brock Lesnar, you know, Kurt Angle, uh, just Edge pulled together Christian. this Edge Christian. So the Hardy Boys, all those amazing amazing wrestlers that came on board and kind of you know lit the fire under the biggest boom in wrestling history mm. it was jim ross that was behind the scenes pulling the strings on that you know he brought an undertaker he brought in uh, mankind um you know so we saw him every week introduce the show we heard him every week talking it's true the show but what people mightn't know was that he was backstage pulling all the strings and uh you know compiling that roster compiling that uh that talent list so it was kind of it was fascinating for me to uh 
get on the phone with Jim Ross for hours and hours and hours and hours and ask him, why did you do this? And why did you do that? And tell me more about this and kind of push him a little bit and build up this great relationship that we have. And he has an amazing sense of humor. Uh, At what stage did you pinch yourself? (laughs) I'm still doing it, uh, which is, (laughs) which is the truth. You know, the book come out uh, last week and uh, I, you know, I got an email from Jim uh, two days ago saying that it's on his third printing so far. Wow. Oh my Which God. is, you know, according to the publishers, is unheard of for a wrestling book. So there's a huge appetite out there for this novel. It uh, ends in 1999. So there's talk now of doing uh, a sequel, if you like, or from 1999 to present day. So I might have to do it all over again, lads. Oh, God love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the process there you were saying was many kind of phone calls with uh, yeah. good old JR. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, this all happened over the last 12 months. Am I right in saying that? Uh, it was just two years, yeah. Two so years. 24 months, yeah. Sorry, 24 months. So, yeah, yeah. How, how many like how many nights a week were you, were you on the phone or were you on Skype? Or what was the process like? Because you're coming from a fictional writer to an actual real-life yeah. factual writer now. I think, you see, what we could appreciate as Irish people is that his story was quite, it was quite familiar to me in that... You know, he grew up in a kind of a rural area. I mean, he was rural America, that's fine. He grew up with a father who loved him, but didn't really, you know, was a tough guy, didn't really show his emotions. I was like, mm-hmm, I know that one. Yeah. You know, he came up with a uh, mother who absolutely adored him. You know, his line is, she probably loved me a little bit too much. And I was like, well, yeah, I get that as well. <laughs> so even though, like, his story was many thousands of miles away and many decades before I was born... I plugged straight into it, you know, because um, I kind of, I got I got him. I got who he was. I got who his father was. And so, for instance, like I would say to Jim, you know, when was the last time you spoke to your father? And, and he'd say, I was in a restaurant, you know, we didn't get on too well. Or And I said, okay. And, you know, what type of stuff would he say at the end? He'd just, you know, I'd tell me a couple of lines. And then, so I'd go off and I'd flesh out this meeting between he and his father. And then Jim Ross would come in and he'd say, okay, he would never say that. This didn't happen. But this happened. Add that in. So I would kind of build out the framework of the chapters. Jim, myself and Jim then would get on the phone uh, and we'd go through it. So the process was we would get on, um, you know, we both had iPhones, so we were we were um, just voice to voice. Uh, I had my uh, document open and we would go through it uh, one chapter at a time. Uh, myself and Jim only met twice um, for roughly like maybe an hour a time. So even though I, I wrote this guy's life story, we've actually only seen each other face to face for a couple of hours. Well, that's and mental, isn't it? It is, you know, it's technology, you know, yeah, it's yeah. technology. It's, um, I met him at last year's WrestleMania for an hour and I met him at this year's WrestleMania for an hour. Uh, and that was kind of it really, you know, uh, <laughs> like this year's WrestleMania, he invited me over. He does a, a stage show. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, he, he had this venue. It was about a thousand seater, you know, and it was Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, uh, Jeff Jarrett, Bruce Pritchard, and me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pinch yourself so, again. <laughs> so <laughs> Jim Ross walks out, and unfortunately it was uh, it was only a week after his, his uh, wife uh, got killed. You know, she got... Yeah, yeah. She got a... Uh, it was a, an auto... Uh, Off her Vespa, you know. wasn't it? Yeah, it was, she was on a Vespa, and uh, some car came up behind her and, and hit her, you know, and she uh, she died a couple of days later, so... Jesus. So, I, you know, Jim said, look, I still want to do this, so I need to get out of the house, I need to... So I said, okay, and, and, you know, we were going to Florida anyway, so I met him there, 
And, uh, you know, to see the way he handled his grief backstage and then the way he handled himself in front of all those fans on the stage uh, taught me a lot, a lot of lessons, mm. you know. And it was surreal, like, because Jim Ross was grieving. And then Tony Schiavone was walking around. I was thinking, that's the guy from WCW that I watched <laughs> thousands of times, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I knew, like, the audience wouldn't know who I was, wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> so Jim comes out, he gets this rapturous applause, you know. And then the next one he invites out is me, like, and I, all I could hear was my wife going, Yay! <laughs> Yay! And that was it, you know? And then I quickly found out as well that not only did they not know who I am, not only did they not care, they couldn't fucking understand me because of my accent. <laughs> so I was like, this was a death of a thousand slices, you know? And I did Jim Ross understand your accent? He did, and he was trying to say... You know, because like I came out and I thought I'm dying here, you know. So and there was all these um, high stools and microphones. So I came out and grabbed the microphone and I thought I'm going to break the ice here with this crowd and say, oh yeah, Jim, that's very nice of you to give the bar stool to the Irish man. <laughs> and all I could hear was like two people going, ha <laughs> And then I quickly realized maybe the joke was awful, which it was, but they also can't understand me as well. <laughs> So, you know, I was sitting there amongst like 150 years of wrestling experience between all the rest of them. And, you know, anytime a question came in my direction, I had to slow down and enunciate, which totally killed like the quick wittedness that I wanted to get in there. So, yeah. but like, I mean, you know, the guys were killing us. They were just amazing. Like they're amazing entertainers anyway, you know, not a, not a word of a script. And they just kept batting around the banter like for an hour and a half, just kicking it backwards and forwards, getting them to laugh, getting them to listen. You know, it was it was a it was a real uh, learning uh, opportunity for me. And where, did you have knowledge then of uh, Jim announcing at WrestleMania this year? I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lovely. So when I was backstage, he said to me, "You're going to WrestleMania." Um, might have been the next day or two days later. I said, "I am." Yeah, yeah. I said, "You going yourself?" Because I kind of knew, you know. And he said, uh, yeah, I think I'll be there, Paul. You know, I think I'll be there. <laughs> and I said, uh, I bet you will, Jim. So I'll see you around about the end of the show, shall I? And he said, yeah, yeah, you're going to see me. Wow. How was so, how he feeling about that um, kind of new deal with the WWE? Well, he was thrilled, uh, but it was a bittersweet thing because yeah. it was his wife who wanted it. I don't want to say she wanted it more than he did because like, he, he definitely wanted to go back home, as he called it. But like she was, you know, she was, she loved WWE and she loved all the wrestlers been around her house and she very much saw it as a family. You know, anytime they were passing through or anytime anybody needs someplace to eat uh, a home cooked meal or some someone to sleep in their spare rooms or whatever. Uh, you know, Jan always had the house open for wrestlers around. Um, so she was like, she was thrilled, and then of course, you know. Uh, for Jim to walk out, uh, come home like she wanted, and to announce, you know, uh, the main event and her not to be there. Yeah. Uh, was a, you know, you can only imagine how bittersweet that was for Jim, you know? Uh, and most uh, of anyway, given the, the context yeah. of the, the announcing he was doing, like the taker, you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, that like I saw with my own eyes uh, two days before WrestleMania, like I said, at that show where he was literally turned his back and wiping tears from his eyes. And then he put on the black hat that we all know from television and he turned around and he said, hello, who am I, you know, and you'd see him just putting on the 
work in the crowd, shaking people's hands. Then he'd come backstage again, like, and he'd just fall apart. Uh, you know, and then he'd take five minutes, and then he'd go back out again, and he'd meet and greet people before the show. And yeah. you know, I was just I was watching him. I was just watching him from the shadows, and you know, toughness comes, I suppose, in a lot of shapes. You know, but that that for me now was was um, I don't want to say impressive, but you know, it was. Uh, I don't know how he did it. Like I, I, yeah, I certainly yeah. couldn't have done it. And um, was it true that the that the Undertaker actually requested him to do that match? Yeah, that's the uh, that's the uh, talk from backstage. Um, Jim himself, I don't think even knows that because he wasn't asked personally. Mm. But I'm sure. Look at if he if he found himself in that position, uh, you know, somebody was putting a request in somewhere. That's yeah, because sure. it seemed yeah, it yeah. seemed a bit random that right we've signed Jr. back for on, yeah. on a multi year deal and then just randomly put him in that match. Exactly. So you know, like I said, it's um, yeah, it wasn't a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. And in terms, you know, obviously you you mentioned like it was multiple phone calls, two face to face meetings. Um, but but in terms of other research, was it a case that you were were you going off on the side and talking to other people about kind of things that yeah. had happened and that whole aspect of it? Then tell us about that. We had this amazing uh, writer called Scott Williams uh, who started off at JR. Mm. And uh, I only kind of talked to Scott a couple of times, and unfortunately, he passed away. This is why, anytime I heard Jim talking about this book, you know, he said he almost didn't finish it because his original writer, uh, Scott Williams, passed away. Jesus. He was only a young man. Wow. Uh, you know, he just, I think he had a heart attack one day. Um, and that was that. And then, of course, Jim's own wife, uh, you know, got killed. Uh, come near the end of this thing so um scott and jim had sat in a hotel room for you know long long periods uh, there was a quarter of a million words there um when scott died so i kind of come in you know there was a lot of you know 1986 this happened and that happened and this happened in 1987 and this happened and that happened and this happened so there was no real structure to it you know it was kind of like just fact after fact after fact after fact so I had to go through all of that and kind of say, okay, I want to write about this, don't want to write about that. I want to write about this, don't want to write about that. And that took me months just to kind of go through and organize what Jim and Scott had done uh, in terms of, like, Jim describes it like, it was like a deposition because I think Scott had a legal background. So it was kind of like, and what happened, you know, on the night off, kind of. Right. And Scott was um, a wonderful person, wonderful writer. Uh, you know, and then, of course, his thoughts weren't organized. Uh, because, like we said, it was a sudden thing. Um, so when I got them, uh, you know, um, it was just a case of, like, piecing together this massive, massive puzzle of facts. Uh, and then I would go back and I would sort them out into chapters and then I would ring Jim on a chapter and say, listen, um, you know, we, we, we already know quite a lot about this chapter, Jim. I'm looking for another angle on it. Tell me. You know, like, so... <laughs> Like we were talking about Jim in college, you know. <clears throat> and I was going, yeah, okay, so you're in college and anything happening, you know, <laughs> uh, not really the usual stuff. Like, I mean, I was, uh, you know, an average student or I was a good student, whatever. And, I, and, then he, and then I was going, did you ever do any drugs or anything, Jim? He said, oh, no, no, not really. Not, well, apart from LSD. I was like, oh. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Hang on a second there, Jim. <laughs> this is what I'm looking for. Okay, so tell me about it. And uh, he told me this, like, you know, I said to him, so when, where did you take it? Like, when did you take it? How did it happen? When were you coming up on it? Who were you with? So he told me this whole story. Like, and I was just grinning from air to air because, you know, he and Scott had sat down and done all the kind of factual stuff. And it was all great stuff that helped me kind of get my thoughts. But I was looking for something more personal. 
Mm. You know, I was looking for night. No, but tell me about the time you were out of your box <laughs> on, on acid, and you were focused on the cow who you saw dancing outside your window. <laughs> like, that's the story, Jim. I want to tell. You oh, know, and really? he was like, uh, you know. I was going, no, just trust me. Just tell me tell me the bits and I'll go off and write it and then you can make your decision. So when I when I handed it back to him, like he was laughing his arse off at it and I thought, that's what we want, Jim. We wanted to be entertaining. We want to tell everybody who you are. They want to know, because we know who JR is on television, so who's Jim mm. Ross behind it? Uh, you know, so it was those kinds of things, I suppose, I went diving for, lads, you know? Like, I wanted the factual stuff to be right, of course. Uh, I wanted to follow... His journey uh, through the wrestling business, of course, but I also wanted to find these little nuggets, these little stories, these little anecdotes that that I think are, you know, were funny or hilarious in some cases, and put those in as well. But you didn't have the handcuffs on either, because it wasn't like any books that have been published by WWE. It's always accused of the of the kind of the subject of the wrestler that it's about. That it's always, you know, watered down or mild or anything like yeah. that. You didn't have that. You had open open reign, so to speak. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I was I was um, encouraging Jim like to go into different areas uh, because we had those open rounds. Like you guys mentioned, he wasn't actually signed by WWE until the book was done, and we had a separate publisher. And uh, you know, we saw yeah, it was it was mostly Jim and I out, out to the side writing the book we wanted to write, um, and then you know, at the end of it, he just happened to get re-signed by WWE. Not a word in the book was changed, and we were off to the races. And, and and are they have have they got anything to do with the promotion of it? Uh, they've been very very uh, gracious and good about that. They, you know they're putting it out on their social media. They're letting their fans know about it. Um, so they've been very supportive. I know they've been supportive as well in terms of the the uh, you know employees of the company getting word out through their social media. And so you know a lot of people love uh, Jim Ross. A lot of people you know in their words would owe him their careers. Mm. Um, like for instance I was talking to Paul Hammond like for about three hours wow. oh my god three hours <laughs> that, that is a three hours I'd love to be involved in. oh my goodness uh, lads I'm not even joking this now I thought it was going to be a fight he was dropping his kid off at school you see and uh, and uh, he said uh, you're the blood red guy and I, yeah 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 and you're writing Jim Ross's book now yeah yeah and he said you know some I love Jim Ross and he said, and I could hear him saying goodbye to his son, and I could hear him closing the door on his car. And he sat in his car outside his son's school for three hours while he told me, "Wow!" From the first day he met Jim Ross until the last time he saw him, and he told me in great detail, like it is a movie unto itself. That's incredible, man. I My didn't God. know how much Paul Hammond absolutely adores Jim Ross. You know, Paul Hammond got emotional talking about him in the car. Wow. Because there were several times in Paul Hammond's young career where he was fired, where he was shunned, where in WCW they were just doing anything to get rid of him. And Jim Ross was the guy who said, I will take him under my wing. If he does anything, it'll be my responsibility and you can come back after me. And Jim Ross done that several times for Paul Hammond. And Paul Hammond has never forgot that. That's incredible. Paul... As well as that, right? Um, yeah. You writing one of, I suppose, one of your, it, it's fair to say it's one of your heroes in terms of the wrestling business. Yeah. And you're being given the opportunity to write this book. You're saying that yeah. it, it's volume one and it's up to 1999. Yeah. W- what was, 
as a fan, what were what were you most looking forward to hearing about? Or did did that happen yeah. at all? Or well, you see, for me, all of it was fascinating because, yeah. like, I'm a I'm a real nerd, right? So I loved hearing about the old territory days, yeah. you know. So when it was real wild west stuff, I love that, you know. So for instance, like, kind of like your Reds, book. Yeah, exactly, and I suppose that's that's what appealed to me. Like, you know, I spent five years writing the Blood Red Turns Dollar Green trilogy because I love that kind of Wild West lawless time. And then I got to write about one of the guys who actually was there. So that kind of really fit. That was in my wheelhouse, you know. Yeah. But like the stories in there, lads. Honest to God, even if you're not into wrestling, like I love as an Irish person, and we can all relate to this. I love a good story. I don't give a shit when it was, who it was, where it was. But, like, if there's a bit of humor to it and there's an outcome to it where I just, you know, I think to myself, holy fuck, how did he even find... Like, there was these two twins called the McGuire twins. And uh, they were only hired in wrestling because there was a picture of the two of them on two little bikes. Now, these brothers are 400 pound each. (laughs) And they couldn't couldn't wrestle, they couldn't move, they couldn't do anything, but they were an attraction, you know? It's almost like the bearded lady thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim Ross was telling me a completely different story. And then he said, like, and Paul, that was the day I ended up in the, in the shower with the McGuire twins washing their backs. <laughs> and I, I nearly <laughs> fell off my chair. And I said to Jim, 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 I know we're at the time with something else for the last two hours, but we need to put that aside and you need to tell me that shower story. <laughs> so he started telling me this shower story with the McGuire twins. And it was heartbreaking. And it was hilarious. And the two Maguire twins were in the shower because they were afraid of a bully wrestler who slapped them around in the ring legitimately. And they were in the shower and they would go in there because they didn't want the other wrestlers to see them crying. And I thought to myself, oh my God, like this is just such an amazing gift of a story. So it was kind of those things. Like I would talk to Jim Ross for a couple of hours and we'd be talking about, you know, wrestling stuff. And then he would say, oh yeah, that's the day that this happened or whatever. And I would, you know, with his permission, scrap all the stuff we just talked about and said, do you mind if we zone in on this one, Jim? And we would zone in and we'd pull out those stories, you know? Uh, you know, like, it was kind of amazing stuff, lads. Um, you know, it, it, even the kind of the rest stuff in the South at that stage, you know, there was a, a beautiful little story in there uh, about that. And, you know, there's funny stories about the Maguire twins. And, like, only in wrestling, right, could you get a guy who won half the territory, who was the lead commentator for that wrestling show, who was completely blind. What? Right? <laughs> so, he, yeah. <laughs> He's sitting at the table, commentating, telling you what's happening, and he can't see. <laughs> who, who's that, Paul? <laughs> Leroy McGurk. That is a... What? So, you what, imagine, right? What territory was that? Uh, I was coming down. Let me see now. That was the first one. So that was him, and so it was Watts's territory. All right, Bill Watts. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bill Watts and Lee and Leroy. So they had the, they went halves on the territory. So Watts came in bought half. Um, so when that is ridiculous, so you, isn't it? A blind man commentating. A blind man commentating. Uh, so you imagine, right? We switch on like whatever you're into, soccer or whatever you're into. You switch it on, and the commentator is there, and he has a big black pair. Of, so he had black sunglasses on him. And he'd introduce, and the audience were like, I think he might be blind, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Now, this went on for years. like, So he was on, now, folks, he's just great color and elbow tie up there now. And he would run down the pedigree of who's doing what. And So I just what? thought to myself, this is fantastic. Like, 
I need to write this story. So when I started hearing about that stuff, I thought, you know, I know I've never done nonfiction before, but like these stories are made to be told. You know, if we can do them in an entertaining, fast-paced, you know, bang, bang, bang sort of way, we would, you know, uh, be able to tell this Jim Ross story. Uh, but at the same time, you know, entertain the fuck out of people as well. Absolutely. It sounds it sounds like an absolute must read for, as I said, not just if you're into wrestling, but if you just enjoy kind of any any story at all like yeah just, yeah yeah well I'm, I'm i haven't read it yet but i will be reading it and i i'm i'm intrigued about um is there anything devoted i suppose a chapter to vince mcmahon's like his meeting first meeting with vince mcmahon or yeah that's all in there and Lovely. again it's fascinating stuff you know because i got to learn a little bit about the way vince thinks mm. you know um you know so kind of come there uh jim went to wwf WWE, whatever whatever you want to call it, WWE now. And he met Vince outside um, of an arena. And he and Vince had a, an hours-long conversation. And I kind of said to Jimmy, and then what did he say? And then what did you say? And then what did he say? Because I wanted to make it a scene, you know? I wanted to make this... People want to know what Vince McMahon said to you. Absolutely. And then when you said this yeah. to him, what did he say? And then how did you reply to that and so on? And you could see, actually, how their story built up, you know? Like, there's one thing in it where, again, uh, just say, you know, a little bit without giving too much away, but yeah. uh, Jim had uh, his second bout, I think, of Bell's palsy. So, if, again, for people who don't know, that's a facial para- paralysis. Yeah. And he had it live on air. Um, so, you know, your lead announcer gets an attack of Bell's palsy where uh, all the muscles in his face um, uh, drop. Okay, now he's holding up the side of his face. They're live on air, and he doesn't stop. He finishes the pay-per-view. Um, Jerry Lawler beside him, his commentating partner, thinks there's something really wrong here, like there's a stroke or something after happening. And I'll just show you the mentality of Jim Ross and the mentality of wrestlers or people in the wrestling business in general. He stayed live on air. He held up his face with his hand. He was in London. Then he came home. But there's this, again, Jim just threw in this thing, you know, and Vince sent me a letter, you know. And I said, what, what was the letter, Jim? Um, I might have it around here somewhere. And I said to him, will you please make the effort like, to try and find that letter? Because people will be so interested in what Vince kind of writes out to Jim Ross, you know, mm. to get him back on the horse again. You know, it's like a motivational thing, you know. And again, I won't, I won't give away the contents of the letter now, but the whole letter is in there. And it gives wow. you a real insight into Vince uh, and how he talked to Jim and how, you know, sometimes I think people think that Vince is kind of cruel to Jim Ross or whatever it was, but I think this book will give you another little insight into, no, that wasn't always the case, you know. Uh, people can't really separate TV character, though, can they? That's what I mean, you know, it was Vince's job, like, to be... Because Jim Ross is, like, one of the biggest, you know, good guy baby faces that they had. I mean, yeah. it was hard to find someone who didn't love Jim Ross. And then Vince was the biggest bad guy asshole they had. So he did asshole things to the good guy. Yeah. What's it? Was it Eric Bischoff that said the the best character that they they ever had was the Mister McMahon Mr. character? Oh, but I think that's you know a truer word has never been said. That yeah. that character is just you know I think it was the catalyst for a lot of this um, you know modern era of wrestling. Um, uh, look, you, you've talked a lot about it, but again, like it's it's one of them things you said that like you need to get out and get the book to to yeah. fully appreciate some of these stories especially that that tidbit about vince there yeah um but uh, 
we're kind of we're, we're coming into the last sort of part of this, so I suppose yeah. if I can just change pace a little bit, Merrill will probably kill me and jump back anyway. Yeah, well, I, I was, I was, I'm always going. I have two yeah, questions I want to ask. That. Well, 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 the first question <laughs> I want to ask Ian is is just jumping back to to uh, your your book. Blood, yeah. red turns yeah. the, I suppose we, in the last sort of what twelve months we've seen the success of Glow on Netflix. Do yeah. you think there's space for your book being made into a TV series? Is that something that's being discussed? Or yeah, the uh, books at the moment are signed up with uh, a major Hollywood company uh, and a major personality that. You know, he would be globally known. Oh my god! Wow. So <laughs> it's great. I was just talking to him today. You know, um, what what would his I, name I, be? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say yet, lads. But uh, yeah, let's let's say that uh, moving quickly. Like, I wrote these books, right? Yeah. And I wrote them like a TV series. That was a that was a conscious decision on my part. I wanted them to move quickly. I wanted them to have punchy characters. I wanted the story to be nonstop, like boom, 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 boom. And I wrote three novels, the Blood Red Turns Daughter Green novels. And I sent them out into the universe, unashamedly, uh, like a TV show, a TV series. Mm. And it seems to have worked in that. They were signed by uh, a production company uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, and things didn't work out, but that's fine. I got to go over to Los Angeles a couple of times. I got to make a lot of contacts. The rights came back in my direction, and then I sat on them for a while because uh, the bit I should have said at the start was I self-published these first yeah. on purpose. You know, I got a couple of offers, and they just – they didn't – like, they loved the crime thing, and they were saying, is there any way we can take the wrestling out of these? <laughs> yeah. nah, no. They, they weren't getting it, were they? No. They, they weren't, weren't getting, getting it. it because, yeah. No. You see, if I take the wrestling out of it – that I'm crime novel number 50 million. Yeah. 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 But with the wrestling in it, like I'm literally the wrestling crime guy. It'd make for a great it's, HBO series, Paul. That's it. And that's, that's where I wanted to head to that type of HBO, Netflix, Amazon type of yeah. space, you know, uh, and the fun lads trying to get there. It's right crack. Now I'm not joking. <laughs> you. It's just, I love hustling, you know, I love like, getting on the emails, getting on Twitter, finding out who's buying, who's not buying, who wants these, who might want them, who, you know, and kind of getting myself up the ladder bit by bit. You know, I was able to get from, like, my house in Wexford to Hollywood with no agent and no manager and none of that stuff, you know, just kind of getting from one person and saying, listen, could you introduce me to this person? And then they would say, yeah, yeah, I like you. I like your book. I'll introduce you. And then you get to that person and you say, listen, is there any chance you can, you know, so I love the hustle of it all. I love getting up in the morning and seeing, you know, watching the email pile today. Uh, so these books have been a blessing to me in that they've opened so many doors uh, for me in kind of, you know, uh, for the writing projects, but also as well in the whole Los Angeles thing and Hollywood mm. thing. And so it's been right crack. And it sounds unbelievable. I'm after getting really, really giddy. Um, yeah. with the developments of a whole TV show. Yeah, look, don't, yeah. don't know. You put them on a rocky road if you keep going. <laughs> way, um, <laughs> do you know if um, Vince himself has read these books? I don't actually know. Um, but or Triple H. I, I, like, I, uh, like I said, this year, right, I, I was backstage at WrestleMania and I was walking through the thing. Now, I, so I just want to say the same for you, right? When I said backstage at WrestleMania, I didn't know I was going backstage, okay? Jesus. That, like, I, I knew I had seats. I had tickets 
for myself and my wife had uh, tickets for seats, right? And I knew they were in a box somewhere. So I thought, oh, it might be nice seats. But I arrived like an Irish tourist, right? So I had a t-shirt on me with a saggy neckline, <laughs> right? I was red raw, burnt to a crisp. Love it. They wouldn't let me wife bring a handbag in because I have a no bag policy, right? So she was carrying a, a fucking plastic bag with an, <laughs> with an orange in it. <laughs> Keys for the rental car oh. and fucking sun cream for me because you have to apply it every two minutes, right? <laughs> So I'm not joining you, right? So I go up to the guy in uh, the in the stadium and I say, uh, listen, uh, do you know where these seats are? And he said, right this way, sir. And, I, and he puts us in an elevator, right? Oh, grand. We get in an elevator anyway, so we go up a few floors and then, boom, the doors open. And myself and my wife walk out into what essentially is uh, an office party, except for the office and the company happens to be WWE. And everybody there is everybody you've ever seen on television. Now, this is ridiculous, wow. Paul. Sergeant Slaughter walks by me first of all. Then I see Kevin Owens walking the other way. You know, Natty Nightheart comes towards me. Uh, Nakamura, you know, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Aaron Anderson, Edge Christian. They're all floating around, right? Yeah, but they're all dressed impeccably. Like, it looks like they're at a wedding, right? And then me and my wife are standing there with, like, I love Florida t-shirts on us. <laughs> with our see-through plastic bag with the orange in it, right? So I then, of course, then an Irish male said, I know what to do, even though I have no fucking idea what to do. So I said, we'll go this way, hon. And we start walking down the hallway, see? And all these boxes, so the whole floor is only WWE. So And then there's all boxes that look out. You know, every door is a box. Every box and it has, I don't know, 50 seats. And every, uh, you know, so that's 50 different wrestlers, you know? So as I'm walking down the hallway anyway, uh, I realize that people have read the books. So Steve Carino comes up to me, shakes me hand. Oh, my God. And uh, I say, he says, uh, you know, Blood Red Turns Dollar Green, big fan. I, I was like, holy shit. How are you? Jesus. I thought he was coming to kick me out, you know. I thought he was coming to, who the fuck are you? Get out. And so I realized then that the books uh, were down in the WWE Performance Center, a uh, box of books, and they had been passed out. And then those books then had been, you know, brought to the arenas, and then other wrestlers had picked them up and, you know, and, and then I started to hear about wrestlers who were reading the books, although they never said, you know, anything to, you know, never sent me an email or anything, but I'd hear yeah. from an, uh, one wrestler that another wrestler's reading it and so on and so on. So when you say, you know, am I aware that Vince has read it? I doubt it. However, I do know, like, that there's th- that WWE as a company, like, these books have just been <laughs> flooding through their doors and, and a lot more people than I than I even had expected had have read these books that, that's that just amazing, that's man. amazing it's just to write a, a fictional book about a wrestling in, in the territory kind of era and then yeah. have the kind of prime company in world professional wrestling and you're just getting testimonials off each of them it's unbelievable yeah. it's I, crazy, I love you know? when, when you re-release them I yeah. loved your campaign and the YouTube video. <laughs> the, the YouTube yeah. kind of Skype with Becky's like, oh no, Becky, don't <laughs> yeah. don't get Charlotte to do that and don't get Charlotte and next minute Charlotte pops up. <laughs> Boom, yeah. That was amazing. Like that was brilliant. It was brilliant, you know, and it was such an easy sell because um, you know, they all loved the book, they all wanted to get involved. Like I was able to say to Becky, you know I broached the subject with Becky first, like um, hey listen, uh, would you do a video thing with me where I call a wrestling fake? And she was like, ah, I don't know, you know, you know. And I was saying, oh, look, here's, a, and I actually sent her a script. So she was able to send it to the others then. So, you know, rather than us winging it or whatever, I wrote that whole thing out. 
Uh, and then I kind of compartmentalized it in such a way, if, if your listeners haven't seen it yet, you know, I was only going to take 10 seconds of Charlotte's time because her script was tiny. You know, 10 seconds of, of Alexa Bliss's time. You know, uh, myself and Becky like spent maybe an hour doing it. And then I was able to get all that footage together and chop it together as if it was all happening in yeah. real time. But in essence, I was asking people for, you know, 10, 15 seconds of your time. And we'll do it down through iPhones. And we make it look like that's the way it should be. So I was going to base it all around, you know, Skyping to these guys. and So it worked out really well. Uh, even though, you know, in terms of their day, it cost them very little. Just yeah, a few yeah. seconds of their time. Come here, we talked about uh, Joe Cabret at, uh, during the interview. Yeah. Have you, I believe you're going to the next OTT in Wexford. Uh, that's right. The Over the Top Wrestling, which is the Irish premier pro, uh, pro wrestling company. It is. Uh, have you Amazing. been to a few shows? We've I've, we've yep. been to a good few. I've been, I've been nearly, I've been to quite a few. I've been to maybe six or seven, but it's it's a great great show, isn't it? Ah, they're amazing, you know. Joe's amazing. Got a great brand, also a great wrestler himself. Mm. You know, I think Jordan Devlin is, you know, he's kind of. I even said it to him on Twitter a couple of days ago. Like that guy is the smoothest guy I've seen in the ring. I mean, he's just like silk at the moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's great things going for him. <clears throat> Then, of course, you know, on the other spectrum, you have Martina, the session ma. The session ma. She, yeah. she is just phenomenal. She's brilliant. In terms of putting a package together that's entertaining, that you're never going to forget, that gets people talking. And after a show, who are they all talking about? They're all talking about Martina. Yeah. And, and that, for me, is what wrestling is about. And she works hard. She tours all over Europe. Oh, like. she's... You watch, yeah, and I'm sure you do as well. And you know, maybe your listeners are not familiar, but if you watch her social media, she is nonstop. Nonstop, yeah, she is. Yes. You know, right. have to be here, going here, and going over here to train for a week, doing this, doing that. And that's, you know, for me, that's great. I love people who hustle. Who hustle. Have you seen Kings of the North in action as well? Yeah, they're amazing. They're great. It's a great, great promotion. Angel Cruz, Be Cool. There's so many great kind of uh, characters where you don't yeah. really have well. I mean, I suppose the international talent can always put the ticket sales up, yeah. but I, the last yeah. the last few shows I've been to, I've actually been looking forward to the homegrown talent. Yeah, and how that's they it, I mean, how they work with the international talent. That's that's such a great point, you know. Like at one stage, you know, the Irish and UK scene was propped up by you know the Americans, quote unquote, coming over. Mm. You know, and, and it, like it was, you know, uh, guys that were five or ten years past their prime. Yeah, but now it's all about the local talent mixing with guys who are on fire at the moment. So again, you guys know, you know, like the elite are coming over. Those yeah. guys are on top of their game at the moment. So you're not you're not getting cast offs anymore. Mm. Um, you know, that's no disrespect to anyone that was coming over ten or fifteen years ago or whatever. But now you're getting you know people who are wrestling independently at the top of their game going against the local talent who are at the top of their game, and I, I think that's just good news for everybody. That's brilliant, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, man. Um, and it's cheap as chips as well to go to a, a, an OTT show as well. Yeah, I mean, if any of your listeners are, are thinking about it, sitting on the fence, have heard this OTT somewhere in the background, can't recommend it highly enough. Brilliant. Absolutely. Um, Paul, we're, we're just about out of time, man, but it, it's been yep. it's been an absolute blast talking to you. Every so often we get to do these pro wrestling ones. Like we've done yeah. our, our show with Joe. We had uh, Fergal Deva, Finn Balor on before. We had DDP yeah. on before, yeah. but... This one in terms of kind of fascination and story, so it's definitely we could go three hours. Yeah, it's it's tweaking <laughs> interest, like um, yeah. But before we let you head off, man, where can yeah. people one get the books and two, yep. where can they learn more about yourself or follow yourself on social media and all that? That's great, lads, and let me just say it's been an absolute pleasure as well. I 
I don't do, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to do many Irish interviews where I can just cut loose, yeah. have a bit of crack, tell some stories. And this is what I love to do. But anyone then who wants to catch up with me, uh, paulobrien.info. You get the link there for the Blood Red Turns Daughter Green books and the Jim Ross book. Uh, social media then is at tweet Paul O'Brien. Uh, that's basically where I hang out the most, although I have Instagram and Facebook as well. But uh, all the social media links are at paulobrien.info as well. So drop in there and you'll get everything you need. Deli and Paul, well. is there any timeline uh, for Blood Red Turns Daughter Green, the TV show? Very early there days, is. I understand, but like in your head, do you do you hope? When do you hope? Uh, for me, I just hope it makes it. You know, like so, I'm a realist in that. I think we have every chance in the world, uh, but at the same time, what I wanted this to do is I want this to, like, I know we've talked about wrestling and all that sort of stuff, but like I've been writing for twenty years. Yeah. You know, I've been yeah. chipping away, hustling, doing my thing, and I want to write after the wrestling. Uh, part of my writing career is has moved on so my one for the blood red turns daughter green books and tv show is that it propels me on to write other tv shows and other movies and give me opportunities to write screenplays and all the stuff that i you know want to write brilliant for me i'm a patient man like i'm i'm happy now that this is bubbling away while it's bubbling away i use then that momentum to make more contacts i've written a pilot now for a tv show that another production company is interested in and so i love building a a career brick on brick that's brilliant um you know that's and that's what i love to do you know i love to like if i if i got a tv show tomorrow i would be saying great now how do i turn that into writing a movie or if i got a movie then how do i turn that into whatever it is so i love hustling lads i love getting out there i love you know, um, writing as much as I can, quality stuff, putting it out there, and then trying to make it happen. Deadly, deadly, man. We we can't see, we can't wait to see what comes next. Anyway, man, and look, I appreciate uh, it for, for for what it's worth. If ever we can we can give something a little plug or give something a little nudge or, or do yeah. whatever, feel free to call upon us, man. Because, Much appreciate. Uh, I've enjoyed this one immensely. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Me too. Deadly. It's been great. It's been deadly, Paul. Thanks deadly. so much for your time. Cheers, right, Paul. Take all, care, we're man. We're all fucking brilliant, we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Come on, the lads. Up the yellow see bellies. See you later, Paul. Man. Thank Take you. Care. Paul O'Brien, ladies and gentlemen. Unbelievable. That was class, man. Yeah. I absolutely enjoyed that. And as I said, like, look... Uh, Every so often we get to indulge in kind of a topic that's just for us kind yeah. of thing, but we hope that you enjoy it as well. I got to do it last week with rugby. Yeah, but this, this is the thing. We're getting a, we're, the feedback we get recently and lately, and I, I think since the summer, we're always getting messages or tweets or whatever, and it's always kind of like, look, I've no interest on in that subject, but you just shoot the shit. It's yeah, like, do you know, and that's all we do. Do you know what I mean? It. And it's something that we've said over and over again: is that like the the art of the conversation mm. is dying out because people are on just WhatsApp group messages and it's all just texting. Or you know, what I mean, and then you see people going out for points, and you see a group of lads in the boozer, and there's six of them on their phone, right? Yeah, yeah, having yeah. a chat. Yeah, lads, enjoy the conversation. Deadly. Well, I love that. That was brilliant. As, enjoy a, as, the a, conversation. as a lifelong pro wrestling fan, I really enjoyed that. Um, just did you see me? <laughs> I was. Oh <laughs> man, you you were like proper. There was like holy shit moments. Yeah. There was that we, we were too sweet. And too sweet. We were doing everything we were, man. It little Chain here says he'll be banging. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Um, and, and check out the books, lads. Uh, genuinely, like as if you're a wrestling fan, most read. If you're not a wrestling fan, but you just have any kind of interest in a good story, then 
you should be all over it genuinely get all over it um that's all the time we have this week for this week for this week um but be sure to check out our pre if you're into the wrestling check out our previous wrestling chapters as mentioned with finn Balor, Balor ddp and uh joe cabrera, joe cabrera well, of ott and hopefully future ott superstars yeah yeah why not i'm gonna get jordan devil go for it if you're listening jordan all right, boy. We're gonna tag you in this, Jordan, because <laughs> uh, Paul mentioned you as one exactly, of the best. Yeah. So you're getting tagged, and if you listen, please reach out because we're gonna reach out to you. Definitely. Too sweet. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Um, but yeah, look, lads. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Thanks too for the Patrick Castle Hotel who uh, put a roof over our heads each and every week and, and allow us to keep bringing you the conversation, which is what we want to do. It's PatrickCastle.com for more. Uh, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict. Anywhere and ever there's a podcast, lads. Search WTS Pod and we're there. Facebook.com forward slash WTS Pod Ireland. Twitter at WTS Pod. And uh, of course, WTS Pod.com. Love it. I'm at Andrew Murray. I'm at Mary Gamania. And that's being it, lads. Chapter 120. Is in the satchel. It's in the satchel. <laughs> Clear us. <laughs> Full arts. Can't lose. Too sweet. Look. <laughs>